when I was in seminary, I had a friend named Alec Reem. Alec. Alec was a fascinating guy. He, uh, he never wore blue jeans. He insisted that they were the product of the rebellious generation of the 60s. He, uh, he would never shop at uh, any franchise stores. He said they were the product of, uh, of a cultural Marxism, bringing everything down to a common denominator. And you think to yourself, this is like a crotchety old man. He was 26. And he was absolutely adamant that he would not eat in a franchise restaurant. Now, that was all well and good for Alec uh, until we took him to Chaperone on a ski trip. And we had 60 students going from Jackson, Mississippi up to Winter Park, Colorado. And the way you do that, you have two options. One is you call ahead to a McDonald's somewhere and say, have 60 burgers ready and we're coming. Or the other way is you park your bus in between a Wendy's and a McDonald's and say, y'all got 30 minutes to get back here. That's the only two ways to do it. And neither of those worked for Alec. And so he would get off the bus and just walk off. And then he would come back in about 25, 30 minutes, and uh, we'd be ready to go. And one of the the kids on the bus would always say, where is Alec going? And I just looked at him once and said, Alec is fighting a culture war most people don't know exists. I say that because I think Jesus, after the resurrection, we're starting the book of Acts today, this is post-resurrection, and, uh, and his disciples still don't get it. And they ask him a question, now, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I just want to look at him and go, Uncle Jesus is fighting a war that you don't even know exists. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know, that's not really yours to worry about. I'm going to tell you what to do. Because his answer is, yes, I am going to restore the kingdom. No, not to Israel. It's what much bigger and much different than anything you think. Much bigger And in a much different way than anything you think, I am going to restore the kingdom of God. I am going to reconcile the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God one subject at a time. And that's really both the summary for this talk, this sermon, and for the entire book. What I want you to see is that Jesus is restoring, reuniting the cosmos, the entirety of the world. He is saving the entirety of the world. He's restoring it. And re, by reconciling it to the kingdom of God, one subject at a time. One person at a time. Please stand as we read from the beginning of the books, book of Acts. Acts is a sequel, if you didn't know that. Both Acts and Luke were written by the same person. Luke was under the tutelage and a follower of Paul. While Paul was going around preaching, Acts was doing interviews. Uh, I mean, Luke was doing interviews. And uh, he wanted to be very careful. So this is, the, uh, this is Luke 2. Hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the, to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power in the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy, mysterious word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. In Christ, the whole cosmos is being restored one subject at a time, one person at a time. Uh, There's so much in this text I want you to see. Uh, But the first thing I want you to see is that the king ascends to his throne. Now, ascension is a distant third place in our psyche, right? Christmas is first because we get presents. And Santa is fun, and, you know, it's kind of, got to do something in the winter. There's nothing else to look forward to. And so Christmas is first. Easter is a close second. Really, it's more important, but we'll give the benefit of the doubt. It's a close second. It's, it's the celebration of the resurrection. The ascension, we don't even have a party for. Um, and that's, that's too bad. And it is, it is Jesus going to the throne. Jesus is the new king. And and the thing to understand about the ascension is how it is, it is really the climax of the Bible. You see, from, from Genesis 1, what we have is man has been kicked out of the garden. We were kicked out. You see, when God created the earth, if you look in Genesis 1 and you do a study of it, you'll see something interesting. The very first thing he did was he created the heavens and the earth. And they were together. And he did not separate them. If you look through the rest of the book, you see him separating sky from uh, water, uh, water from land, uh, man from, male from female. He's doing all this work of separation. But it never says he, cre- he separated heaven and earth. There were two kingdoms like this. The whole purpose of heaven, well, the whole purpose of earth, was for God to have a place to dwell with us, to see us face to face, to be with us. And when Adam and Eve sinned, when our forefathers sinned and all of us sinned in them, we were separated forever. And the whole story of the Old Testament is trying to get back, trying to get back to the garden, 
trying to get back to see God's face. Even Cain, after killing his brother, the, the thing that he cries out about is, I will never again see your face. He's talking to God. And, over, you'll, and you'll see this phrasing several different times. Um, no one can see the face of God and live. Jacob praises the Lord. I have seen the face of God and lived. Moses asked to see God's glory, and he says, Oh, no, no one can see my face and live. Not even Moses. They're separated. They're different. And that's, that's the ultimate desire for humans. That's what the... Um, their ironic benediction was every day the Israelites would go and do their daily sacrifices and the high priest would stand above them and at the end of the sacrifices he would say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and may he turn his face towards you. May you see the face of the Lord. But they couldn't because of their sin. But something changes at the, at the ascension. God, we could not get into heaven, so God comes into earth. He incarnates. He becomes one of us. And Jesus keeps the law perfectly. And he, because of his righteousness, earns the right to enter the clouds. He enters the clouds. Again, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you. You're like, clouds? That kind of messed up the ascension. They could have tracked him for a long way if there had been a high-pressure system. I mean, what, where did he go? We, we lost him in the clouds. But again, think biblically. What were the clouds? When, when God's presence, when his glory filled the tabernacle, the cloud filled the tabernacle, and not even Moses could go in. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, the cloud of glory filled the temple, and not even Solomon could go in. The priests had to leave. But here, after Jesus' sacrifice, after his atonement, after his resurrection, he enters the true temple. And there is now a connection, a place where both God and man are. And, and we, we overstress the deity of Christ. There, I said it. And that makes it sound smaller than it is. And I want to just jam this into your heads A man is standing before God. A man is sitting on the throne of God. A man is sitting at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10 says it like this. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies had been made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He is sitting at the right hand of God, waiting for all earth all the cosmos to be brought into subjection to his feet. He is our new king. That's the the, the first change. He He is moving from there. He's entered the cloud. He is ruling over the the entire cosmos, the entire earth, waiting for things to be put under his feet. And y'all are looking out the window, wondering how things could get any worse than they are today, and asking yourselves... 
or telling yourselves, if Jesus is on the throne, he's doing a pretty poor job of it. And he's, doing, he's going about it pretty slow, isn't he? How did you think he was going to do it? How do you think he would have done it any faster? What did the disciples want? The disciples wanted the same thing you want. Fast. Violent. In the words of General Patton, a bad plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. Quick. What did the disciples want? They wanted Judas Maccabeus to come back and run the Romans out of Rome. They got that about 100 years later in the form of um, Simon Barcopa. And the, every Jew left was either killed or exiled. But Jesus wasn't going to do it that way. He's going to do it through love. He's going to do it by calling people to repentance. He's not interested in making his enemies his slaves. He wants to make them his children, his brothers, and his sisters. It's going to be slow. It's going to happen one person at a time. But make no mistake, it's happening. A man is before the throne of God. A man sits in the, in the throne of God in heaven with God. And, and there's a true temple. Every temple was, was created to be a, a facsimile, an image of this place where God and man came to dwell. And the, the furniture and everything was set up that way, you know, and you had the big veil, and God's just right behind the veil, and, and we would come, you would come to the temple to be near God. But they were, all, they were all copies, Hebrews says, until Jesus walked into the true temple. And now he is in the true temple in heaven. There's a man here. And what we are doing as the gospel grows is we're restoring the intent, original intent. We're bringing the circles back together. The entirety of the cosmos is being saved. One person at a time. One subject at a time. We're we're, we're saving the the heavens and the earth. And the way we do that, well, is is how? By being the temples ourselves. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon them? The Apostle Paul says, we became temples of the Spirit. Now Jesus dwells in us. Now that we are his loyal subjects and he dwells in us. And wherever we go, that corner of the earth is filled with his glory. And and the restoration is continuing. Until we get to here again. Until we get to Revelation 21. And the dwelling place of God is with man. And there will be no darkness there. And there will be no sun. For they will not need the light of the sun. For they will see his face. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. That is where the Bible is going. That is where we are going. And Jesus, the man Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, ascending into heaven is, was the, the key part of that. It is the key part. He has sanctified us, and he's fulfilled that sanctification by coming into heaven, and he's made us his. He is our king. He is the king of the world. 
and that means at least two fascinating things for us that I want us to reflect on, and then um, we'll see how it goes. First of all, it means we have not only a new king, but we have a new cosmos. We have a new understanding of the universe. Okay, this is a weird text. There's no denying it's a weird text. It's hard to imagine. It's one of those texts that some of us who like to brand ourselves fashionably intelligent and, um, you know, think we can, you know, walk into most rooms and, and not be scoffed at, kind of wish they weren't in the Bible. Don't you kind of wish this wasn't in the Bible? I mean, do we re- and it's funny that Luke puts it in there of all people, because Luke's Mr., he is Mr., um, evidence, right? He's Mr. Skeptic. He's Mr. Touch and Feel, and, and he even begins it here. It's, it's like you have the most scientific verse in the Bible about the resurrection right next to the most science fictionist, right? Science. Jesus stayed in Jerusalem for 40 days, subjecting himself to many proofs to prove to the disciples that he really was raised from the dead. And I love that verse, because isn't that what it would take? I mean, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe in the resurrection after just one day. You, you, you'd wake up. I mean, I, it happened to me the other day. I, I had the greatest dream about my brother Tommy, right? It was wonderful. It really was. And uh, I woke up the next morning, but I didn't think he'd been resurrected, right? And that's how it would be after one day with Jesus. You'd wake up the next morning going, nah, <laughs> I saw him die. I was at the burial, and you have to go see him again, right? Well, prove it's really you, Jesus. Well, here's the scar. Yeah, but anybody can scar their palm. You know, you can see Nathaniel walking up to him going, what was I doing under the fig tree? Prove it's you. And he patiently did it. He just patiently did it. It really is me. I really am raised from the dead. And right after this great kind of scientific proof verse, we have him levitating up. A portal opens in the sky. A cloud comes down and takes him. That's exactly what happens. It goes from science to science fiction. And that changes our understanding of this cosmos that we live in. Um, What do I mean by that? I mean, for a long time, Christians have kind of cowered. Ever since uh, space travel became a possibility, Christians have cowered at the question, where is heaven? Where is it? We can't find it. Where did he go? And because we didn't have a good answer to that question, a lot of us, a lot of the church kind of went to this spiritual answer. Well, we know there's no physical place called heaven, but, our, but, but heaven is a spiritual place. And our souls go to a spiritual place where they're happy and they feel loved. And that's what you think, isn't it? But that's not what Acts 1 says. Acts 1 says Jesus' body is there. It is a place. It says the disciples looked into it. It is a place. It is a place where bodies exist. I ask your kids that now. This has become one of my uh, 
natural questions, my regular questions when I do professions of faith. I'll say, uh, I'll always ask them, you know, who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? He died for my sins. They all get that one. Bam. Is he still dead? Most of them know the answer. That's no. Um, most of them jump on the resurrection, resurrection Easter, because you all know by now that I'm going to ask them that question, which is great. I want you to teach your children the gospel. I'm, I want you to teach them the right answers. So Easter, he raised from the dead. Where is he now? He's in heaven. All right, then this is where I get tricky. So I go grab a picture of my mom, and I say, now my mom died a few years ago, and she loved Jesus. Is she in heaven? Yes. Is Jesus in heaven? Yes. I'm going to ask this question to you parents. Is Jesus in heaven the same way my mom is in heaven? No. What's the difference? My mother's body is in Sunset Cemetery in Dresden, Tennessee. And Jesus' body is in heaven. It's a real place with real bodies. And that's where we are ultimately going. Our resurrection will be bodily, and heaven and earth will be again joined. It's a, it's a different universe, and that's hard for us to visualize. It used to be almost impossible, but good old science fiction saved us. Um, and I mean that. Uh, N.T. Wright is, is one of the scholars that I'm leaning the most heavily on. And he went around debating uh, a guy named Marcus. Uh, what was Marcus's last name? I wrote it down. Marcus Borg. Uh, there's a book. You can, you can buy it if you want. Two Views of Jesus, N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg. And they would go around having these debates. And Marcus would ask him that question. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. Where is that? And he would say, it's in a parallel universe. And Marcus would say, I can't imagine that. And N.T. Wright would say, well, then, Mark, you need a better imagination. But God, seeing our weakness, has given it to us, hasn't he? He's given us uh, Dr. Strange. He's given us, given us everything, everywhere, all at once. He's given us... Uh, random chaos theory on the community. He's given us all these pictures of this, this view where there's multi, a Spider-Man in the multiverse, right? Multiple universes parallel. And we can imagine it now. And Luke's saying, that's actually what happened. A hole opened in heaven. A portal to heaven opened on earth. And Jesus went through it. And so where, so where is heaven it's right here. You just can't see it. It's right behind the canopy of reality. It's as if, I think the best analogy is, is that it's backstage. We're, we're all living our entire lives on a stage, and Jesus is backstage seeing it all. He sees it all. At any moment, he could open the portal, stick his head in, and say, hey, probably won't. One day he will. One day he will. That portal, that, that's what the second coming is going to be. It's going to be that, that portal opening wide and him showing us, I've been here all along. He's been here all along. If all this stuff has just left you in the dust and you don't even, can't even imagine how you care, let me just give you that. Let me, let me hang a, a, a peg for you here. He has been here all along. If you don't understand that, then... I imagine prayer is really hard for you. 
prayer feels like work, right? You have to quiet yourself, read your Bible for a few minutes, and then be like, you, you knit your eyebrows, and you put together, you know, a new, new voice that is worthy of prayer. Again, speaking in King James English. I want to give you a different image. I, instead of practicing prayer, instead of working at prayer, I want you to increase your recognition that God is already here. Work on being more aware that God is already here. The, the, for me, the best picture of that is uh, that wonderful, wonderful scene at the end of To Kill a Mockingbird. When Scout is recounting what's happened to her brother Jim, and Jim, you know, was jumped, and someone tried to kill him, and he got his arm broken, and then she was dressed up as a ham, so she couldn't really see. If you don't understand that, read this book. And uh, then she gets, she sees kind of through the mesh somebody carrying Jim. And the, the question is, who saved Jim's life? Who is it that, that killed this villain, Mr. Ewell? Who is it that, that brought Jim back? And they're, they're saying, who was it, Scout? And then Scout looks up and sees somebody standing in the corner who's been there all along. He says, well, there he is. Ask him yourself. Hey, boo. That, if, if it really helps you, let those be the first two words of your prayers tomorrow. Hey, boo. You've been here all along. I don't have to get my face screwed up to see you. I don't have to get my heart feeling sad enough to feel you. You've been here all along. Hey, boo. He's right here. He's not a gazillion miles away out in the furthest reaches of the universe. He's right here. Parallel. His body. Right here. In heaven and on earth. That is our, that is our new cosmos. And our new mission, our new work, is to tell everybody that. We are trying to let everybody know the new king is on his throne and he's going to reign until it is on earth as it is in heaven, until his will is done on earth the way it's done in heaven. Don't you want to be on his side? Repent. Stop worshiping the things you're worshiping. Stop loving the things you're loving. Stop looking to your job to give you the fulfillment it will never give you. Stop blaming your husband for not being the the Savior you thought he was going to be. Worship Jesus. He's right there. He's here to save you. Repent and believe. And, and that's, that's our new mission. It's two steps. Two steps. Be filled with the Spirit, which is not a one-time act. Paul says, go on being filled. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And, and honestly, guys... I think some of us have gone years in between being filled with the Spirit. Some of us have. We've loved the Lord. We remember days when we were filled with the Spirit. But our hearts got bitter. We got busy. We got disappointed. We got discouraged. God didn't come through like we thought He was going to. I understand. He understands. He doesn't get mad at Thomas when he doubts him. He says, Thomas, here I am. Touch me. Feel me. 
come here, stop doubting. And that, that describes a lot of us. We go a long time. We go a long time without just experiencing the, the deep joy and confidence that comes when we're filled with the Spirit. Maybe we found a particular sin, and we just love that sin so much, and we know, we know the sin and Jesus can't live in the same heart. We know that the sin and the Holy Spirit can't be in the same body, but the sin is here now, and it's making me happy now, and the Spirit, I'll still be there. Go on being filled. It calls us to repentance. And then as a filled human, then, then our goal is to bring the fullness of God to earth. To bring that fullness together. To bring the circles together. The fullness. As we are filled and we take that fullness to the earth and we witness to the earth and everyone in it the, the experience of Christ, the life of Christ. And we witness to him and we witness about why we're different and we just bring the, the value of Christ, the, the, the righteousness of his reign and his rule, the order, the peace, the love, the grace, the mercy. We bring it into the earth wherever we go because we're full of that spirit of love and peace and mercy. That's why you can't, you can't be an effective Christian out of anger. You can't be an effective Christian out of jealousy or out of vengeance. That's not who he is. We're called to be his witnesses, to be full of him. How it, I just want to read a few passages about this fullness to get, give you this idea of what we're going for. Ephesians 3 says, Paul is praying that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. Know his love that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 4 says that the purpose of the, the church is that we would teach us and work until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we might grow and mature to the fullness of Christ. In Ephesians 5, as I've already said, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We may be filled that we may bring the fullness of God to this earth. That is the work. Yes, it takes a long time. And it's not a snap of the fingers because it's not violent and it's not magic. I, uh, my wife worked for uh, Southwestern Books one summer, and she heard this story. Uh, from there, and I have no idea what it has to do with se- going door to door selling encyclopedias, but it's a good story. And uh, he said, the, the guy who owned it um, was was speaking to them, and he said his daughter one night was kind of driving him crazy. He was trying to get some work done, but she wanted, can you imagine this, wanted him to pay attention to her. And so, in her selfishness, she wouldn't leave him alone. You know how three year olds can be. And so, he tore, saw a picture of the earth in a magazine, and he tore it out, and he cut it up. And he said, this would be a good puzzle for you to learn what the earth looks like. See if you can put the earth back together, dear. And he went back to work, and she came back in like four minutes and said, here. And he said, how did you know that? 
And he, she said, I don't know anything about the earth, but on the back was a picture of a man. And when I put the man together, the earth was together. And that, that's kind of our job, one person at a time. When we get the people together, the cosmos will be together. Not something different, but restored to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we do ask you to fill us. I confess that some of this is just it's too, too hard, it's too high, it's too different. Give us the faith to believe in a, <laughs> a parallel universe. It's called the kingdom of heaven. It's right next to us. Give us the faith to believe that there's a man named Jesus, a body that's thousands of years old that is sitting at your right hand. Give us the joy and the love and the peace and the patience and the power that comes with that believing as we receive your Holy Spirit. And Father, be so kind as to let us be your witnesses wherever we find ourselves tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray.